All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Sample Hour. I am honored and humbled to have this guest on. He is actually one of the many patrons who support the show. And I just want to say we are a member of the Value for Value Network, which isn't a real network, but it's just something that I'm copying from No Agenda. And it's a model I believe in, but uh, just kind of added that title to it. So, Luke Gross, I think uh, you've, you've commented on many of my Facebook posts, which and you've always added to it, which... To have the ability to actually provoke thought on Facebook, you have to be a very gifted writer, in my opinion, or a thoughtful human being. And you did that. We had the uh, we had Hans Komain on before talking about seduction. And I wanted to hit on that from this philosophical perspective, which I hope I did. But guy was talking crap about being a vegan, and you kind of hit him with some deep thoughts, and then he actually kind of changed his opinion. And I thought that was super cool. And he came and he he gave you credit for that on the show. But, um, you know, you're a thoughtful guy. And one thing we were talking about before the show started recording is, you know, why do you farm? Like, why did you choose this lifestyle? Um, you were an urban person like myself. And now you live out in the country with no cell phone service. And you <laughs> farm pigs. So why did you make decide to be a crazy person and do this stuff? Man, there's a, uh, I, I guess there's there's so many reasons. There's a story, I guess, in, in every every bit of that. Um, <clears throat> the, there's a there's a Wendelberry quote where he's um, he he's talking about um, um, he's talking about the the reasons why someone um, gets married or not the same reasons why someone stays married, and in the same way, like the the reasons why I. I started farming are not the same reasons that I continue farming. Um, they've, they've shifted and grown over time, I would say. But at the beginning, um, <clears throat> my wife and I, we got married and we, we had, we had dreams and visions of, of doing something, you know, we're in our mid twenties and just kind of wanted to want to do something that felt authentic and, and real and good. And, and we, we loved gardening and, and being with each other. And, um, and we had this, the starry-eyed vision of, of of doing doing that together, and we started growing vegetables and trying to sell them. And um, this is before Curtis Stone's course, and before John Martin's book, and before um, the the Drew Sample example, and, and everything <laughs> else. <laughs> what year was this? Just, just, just say what year was this? Uh, this, is, this is 2010, Drew. Um, All right. Um, All right. So I was um, just a drunk kiosk worker, and I moved down to Toledo. I had no idea about farming or grow food, <laughs> not lawns. So you were yeah. you were a trendsetter, Luke. Uh, well, we were we were we were more ahead of the trend than people are starting now, I guess. But but yeah, it was we, we were getting started. I I uh, I I'm told by my wife and others in my family I shouldn't bash my my vegetable growing skills from from those days. But I mean, I see people I know um, all over Instagram and just friends and in real life and stuff. And there are people who grow vegetables a lot better than I did when I was a vegetable farmer. I, I grew, I grew vegetables for four years exclusively. Um, and then we started raising pigs and then we added in, um, and we got to our, our permanent farm where we live all this time we were farming in one place and living in another. And then after six years, we bought, um, we bought a farm where we live now. And then we basically just added all the livestock in since then and cut out all the vegetables since then. Um, to where this year we're doing zero vegetables and seven species of livestock. Um, so what species of livestock? Uh, pork, chicken, beef, um, and then we've got duck, turkey, lamb, and I, I mean I'll throw a goose in there. We're gonna sell a few Christmas geese this year, but it's it's a really I guess it's six, and then the, the geese are more more of a, a trial run kind of thing. It's more of a hey, we're gonna try this out, and I think we can make some money in the process. So we might as well let this this experience pay for itself. Yeah, it's it's a we did a trial a couple of years ago with geese, but this year I kind of figured they're gonna guard they're gonna guard the flock, and then a couple of people who have been asking about Christmas geese will give us a seventy five bucks each or something, and and they'll pay for the goose food for the year or something. But it's a yeah. The more they're just like scaring coyotes is their job. Um, but yeah, we, we have geese out there too. And that's probably why I can't talk my pastor that in the cell phone service. They're so loud. Um, <laughs> you, you can't record podcasts. 
out there with them. So now are they like, are their wings clipped? Is that why they don't fly off and they're not assholes like the Canadian geese? No, the, the Canadian geese, they're, they're lighter in frame and they're, they're a wild animal that, that, you know, has been bred by nature to, to be able to fly long distances. Whereas these guys have been bred to have, um, relatively large breasts and, and thighs and, and the, the ability to put on, put on weight and not, not just take off in flight. So. They'll flap their wings while they while they run around in the pasture, but they they won't ever get off the ground. But so they're just as much as jerks as the Canadian geese. But this these you can um, they just have a lot more meat to eat. Yeah, we more or less. I mean, there was one that kind of started strutting up on me yesterday. But generally, they've kind of understood that I'm the top dog or something, or they just know that I'm not a threat, so they don't go around acting crazy around me. But uh, but I've I've heard plenty of stories of. Canada geese um, getting up and attacking some children and stuff. My geese have never done that, but they're starting to get in that age where I guess if domestic geese do that, we'll, we'll find out soon enough. Well, I just want to say, if you ever do get bit by a goose, I'm not going to tell you why I know, but I like how you said Canada geese too, because that's, that's the correct way to say it, but we all say Canadian geese in right. Ohio. <laughs> I don't know if it's like that in Indiana, but so... Their teeth feel like sandpaper, and if they do bite you, their teeth do feel like sandpaper. I've never been a fan of those things. I I don't understand why they become a protected animal for a, a large part of the year, because um, there's yeah. so many of them, and they just poop everywhere. But right. I'm not a games warden, so I'm not the guy that could tell you, but um, that's pretty cool. I think... The experience of using animals as potential food, but also guards, is kind of an interesting idea. Like I'm, you know, as Sean Brown talks about, it, you know, he's a big fan of donkeys, um, but there's other animals that keep away coyotes as well, which is interesting because geese are like just mean and they make they make me uncomfortable. And I and I wonder if that's like just a trait that they have. It's not even that they're threatened. Like I'm not a, I know I could stomp out a goose, so I'm not really afraid of it. But it's just mainly I think that they're just super annoying, and I don't yeah. want to be around them. They make me uncomfortable. Their hissing is just, it's kind of weird. It's just like when a cat hisses at you. It's something that makes you uncomfortable. So, um, right. I don't know. I I I don't know why I decided to go down that that tangent there, Luke. Yeah, I mean, I think I think they're they're there probably mostly for keeping the hawks away, but um, but I think. When there's something that loud, you know, flapping their like seven foot wingspan around, making this like really loud sound with their wings and they're honking and they're hissing and they're posturing on you. I mean, there's there's a response that says, you know, unless I have some reason why I really need to be here, um, unless I'm starving or um, or, you know, whatever us humans can can conjure up as a reason um i'd rather not so they're 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 a, they're a light form of protection they're not going to like rip out a coyote's throat like my great Pyrenees dogs will but but they will they'll make everybody feel uncomfortable around them and and that's that's uh that's, that's their role and you know we 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 let them do that that's pretty that's pretty awesome um so what um what do you, how do you pay for the farm? Like, what is your number one seller? And do you do this full time? Are you a crazy halftime person that does this half part time? When we were doing vegetables, um, we were, uh, at first Catherine had work uh, off the farm. And then I did, we were, we, we did, um, we did waiting tables and restaurants. Um, and then, and then, yeah, after bringing the animals on the farm and, and cutting out the vegetables, it's been full time. I haven't had the off-farm income for, I guess, almost three years now. That's pretty awesome, man. So you're a full-time hog raiser. You don't have cell phone service at your at your own. But most of your money comes from, is it pork and chicken? Uh, pork and chicken are definitely number one and two. Those are, those are the things that I feel like we've pretty much scaled up as fully as we, not as we can necessarily, but, um, but, but yeah, we, we consider those to be our, our fully scaled up enterprises. Um, and then after that, um, I guess this year, ducks and turkeys will kind of come in now, is, next in terms of, of revenue. Um, and the the sheep and the beef is just something that takes a little while while longer to ramp up. So um, is, but, is but this something that you just started and you realized it was profitable, so you can start adding on with the sheep and the beef? Uh, well, we actually the beef we added in this year, 
Um, and the sheep we added in about three years ago, but the sheep is a breeding flock. And so it's, it's kind of like a thing we're nursing along, you know, with, with chickens, you can, you can see the end of your first cycle in like, you know, eight or 10 weeks and, and get some feedback and get some money back and like, you know, have, have your, your initial money more than replaced. But with, with lambs, you, you buy a few eight month old ewes and you breed them and then you wait for their offspring to be ready to be bred or sold for meat. You're, you're looking at, you know, almost, almost two years before you're starting to get any money back. Um, Are you going to try and sell wool or is that just like, no, we do, we do a hair sheep breed. So they're, they they basically just, their hair falls out every spring. Um, And it's, it's a really coarse hair. You wouldn't want to use for any purpose. Anybody would ever use wool for. Interesting. Um, Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a thing that people in the South do more. Um, but, but basically, um, we, we haven't, we've decided we're not going to get into the wool game. And so something that shears itself is just more efficient for us basically, because we don't, we don't have to do the work of taking that, that stuff off every, every spring. Absolutely. Ultimately, why farm? I mean, you said it was different reasons why you started and different yeah, reasons why you got, stayed. Got too much. So what? Well, I mean, it, yeah, when it started out, we were, we were, starry eyed and 10 years younger um and yeah and then as we've gotten into it i mean the the reasons to continue have been honestly in some ways it's um i know this better than i know anything else on on the worst days there's there's no exit strategy so so that keeps (laughs) you in it but but in in reality there's the like the the reasons that are at our core are um we we really enjoy interacting with the land and we think it's a a good a good way to to make a living um we i i love to see the way that land responds to um like careful and and knowledgeable and and good work um and i love seeing the increase of of fertility and biodiversity and um the production of additional soil and water holding capacity all these things are are, are things that I enjoy seeing and affecting. Um, and I, and, and I also just want to, to enjoy, um, interacting with this landscape with my children and my wife. Um, and, and I get, and I get to work from home. My wife, um, my wife helped me load some pigs this morning. Um, took a break from homeschooling. If somebody, um, so if one of our offspring are, are acting a fool in the house, I can, drag them out to the pasture with me and give her a break. We, 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 we help each other with our work. We do have uh, a distinction um, among our labor, but there's, there's the ability to, to have, have our kids, um, have our kids there to support each other and to, for them to see each of their parents um, doing, doing good work each day um, and, and to participate with them in it. And, and, you know, like, we 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 only get so much time with them and, and it's pretty important to me that and to my wife too, Catherine, that we get to that we get to share these years with our kids and and you know, I don't I don't have to um I don't have to go off to a job somewhere and she doesn't have to go off to a job somewhere, our kids don't don't have to go off to a school somewhere. Right now we're able to make it work to where everything pretty much happens um there at the homestead. Um, for the most part, and it's a, a pretty huge deal to me that we're able to do that. Absolutely, man. That's awesome. I think that um, there's a lot of big takeaways from what you just said there. I think there's there, it's important to be able to live life with, with um, I like how you said there's no exit strategy. I I do have an exit strategy, but to me, it's the coward's way out. <laughs> like, to sell my right. business and do that, it's like, who am I to do that? Like, and and then like some other stuff you're saying about farming on the land and taking care of the land, like you know, it's it means something to do something out in nature where the man doesn't touch, and it's something different to try to show man what land can be. And I think we're both doing the same. If somebody comes out to your farm and they look at your pastures and say, "This is very different than what I'm used to when I go out in the country," especially if it's traditional farmland where it's just pretty much mining soil. And if you're if you're doing something with the right intention to 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 help the land, it means something. You're working with the land, and I think 
you know, in the urban environment, it's, you know, what can we do to manage waste? What can we do to, to, to beautify these landscapes? And it's, sure. it's, it's different. And I think that, um, you know, I, I have a lot less to sacrifice by staying in the city and uh, than I think it does to go outside the city to just take your family away and to, to, you know, to live life the way and give your kids an opportunity to, to grow up a certain way that a very small percentage would. And yeah. I think that's, that's powerful, man. And I think that's super cool. I don't want to get, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, to, you know, to, to go away too much. Um, but I think it's, um, that's super cool, man. And then, uh, also there was something else I wanted to add there. Um, oh yeah. What kind of sacrifices did, what kind of sacrifices did you and your wife make when you guys decided that, Hey, we're going to go out in the country and we're going to actually move out here to actually farm instead of just commuting, which was probably miserable when you guys were farming offsite where you lived. Yeah. Well, um, when, when we were doing it that way, it was, it was really difficult in much different ways. I mean, part of it is, you know, getting in a vehicle every morning and, you know, crossing over a bridge and farming in a different state from the one you live in. It, it, uh, it's, it's, it's hard just to manage life at home and life on a farm when they're in two different places. Um, but now, I mean, there's, there's plenty of things that are hard about it. Um, it's, it's hard that a pretty significant portion of our friends live 45 minutes to an hour away and our family too. Um, and our markets as well. Everywhere we sell food is pretty much that far away. So just having our life separated, I mean, literally today when I came into town, I had a podcast recording with you on the schedule. I had three restaurant deliveries and I'm picking up feed and picking up um, turkey grit and I'm going to a butcher, dropping off five pigs and picking up four pigs and a lamb worth of meat. Um, but all these things are just, and I got to go to the grocery store and get some bananas for the baby. And, um, I'm probably missing something else on the list, but now instead of just kind of living in town and enjoying all the conveniences of it, I try to cram all that stuff into one, um, stressful day. And then I get to, you know, spend my five or six days back on the farm. Um, and so it's, it's great. And I, and I love, you know, not, not leaving the property most days, but it's also, um, it also just kind of, we're, we're still separated in our life. It's not like we, we have the farm and the home that are separated, but the farm and the home are all together. And now we kind of have to, to, to figure out how to, how to find community and, and take care of all of our other needs off the farm. And, and, and that's, that's hard, but it, it's way better than it was before too. Yeah. So what, um, what days do you come in for markets? Like, how do you guys, when you live that far out, like, how do you make a decision? These are days that we're going to come in town for the farmer's market. Cause I know just me personally living in the city, not just wanting to drive through rush hour, which is the worst that I have to right. deal with. Um, you know, there's certain markets that it's just like, to me, it's like, man, I don't want to drive and hustle and bustle. Like I got to harvest that day and I have to do this. Like, what days have you found in your area are typically best for doing farmers markets, and how do you go about making that decision? Sure, um, we've done midweek farmers markets before, but in our town, um, we've had a hard time selling enough meat to make it justify the trip. Um, so we do two Saturday markets. Um, in the past, Catherine's gone to one; I've gone to the other, and we split the kids between us. Um, but this year we had a had a fella run one of those markets because we were um, Catherine was at home with a newborn baby. Um, but two markets on Saturdays, and then we do all of our other marketing midweek, which means that we're we're any CSA shares that we have meet we have a meat CSA. It's about almost half of our um, our farm sales. Um, we we distribute some of those midweek, um, but then we also have restaurant sales and a kind of like a grocery store buying club we we deliver to so i'll have between you know three and six deliveries on a wednesday plus um any other in-town chores and then i'll uh on saturday i'll come and, and run one to two farmers markets um it's kind of the the deal on a weekly basis pretty much almost throughout the full year we'll we'll usually hit both those things up most weeks so how do you how did you go about finding restaurant customers? Like I, I think this is interesting from trying to work with other farmers and looking at most restaurant margins. 
seems like they have sure. a choice of great local vegetables or great local meat. So how did you find these restaurants and what cuts uh, do they typically buy from you? Yeah, it's uh, it's been a thing that's been evolving this year, uh, even within the last couple months. But we uh, we started out basically just kind of selling pork chops or ribs here and there, occasionally a little bit of chicken, like to some chef who wanted to do a special. Um, so, you know, like a $300, $500 invoice for enough stuff to kind of give, have something where they can keep it on as a special for a couple weeks at, at most sometimes. Um, that was kind of our bread and butter with restaurants. And these are all, as far as we found them, these are all folks who more or less we, we met and, and learned about through, um, through working in restaurants. Um, you know, my wife and I waited tables and we sold a lot of vegetables to restaurants through some of the relationships we got in that, in that venue. And then we started switching over to meat and just kind of kept up, kept some of the same customers. And you know how chefs are, there'll be some, some guy who's a, line cook at one place and he's the sous chef at his next restaurant and he he mentions you to the the head chef and then he he starts his own restaurant and he's a chef at that place and you know over time he went from being a guy who would sign the invoice to getting getting two more restaurants on board and people move people bounce around which is a big problem in some ways but it's also a big big benefit you just kind of have to stay on top of it and keep their keep the relationships with the people and the institutions both um, absolutely yeah. Which leads me to the next question. How big of an impact has uh, focusing on relationships made in your business? I mean, a lot for sure. And I, I, I definitely could do better at it. Um, it it's hard to do from afar. Um, you know, we'd go out to eat a lot more in these restaurants, um, which is a good way to interact with the chefs. Um, I think it was on your podcast. I heard the idea of, of, a, of, of having, having a eating in, in one of your customers' restaurants is a, as a business business expense, and I mean, so many sales conversations have happened over over me deciding to go out to eat in one of my customers' restaurants. It's like yeah. a no brainer. Yeah, be, you have to be, be yeah, you have to be creative with the tax, man. And I think oh yeah, if I think and I'm I, there, I mean, and I'm so and legitimate I'm, too. It it totally is, and I think it's it's kind of a weird thing. It took me a while to be that aggressive, and then I was like, oh well, yeah. I mean, and you know. I'm here for a reason. I mean, that's the reason why yeah. I came here. Like I typically want to sell where I eat at. Um, yeah. The other, I mean, the one thing that I know personally with restaurants is making the most out of every trip. And, it, and, yeah. it, and I think, yeah. and I think just like what you do when you go to town, you got to take that to the next level with these restaurants. Like every, every person you interact with is, is important. I know, the people that write my checks, I make sure to spend time with, and I'm usually nicer to them than the chefs because they're <laughs> the ones that pay me. Like the right, chef might yeah. place the order, but the people that pay me, those are the people I want to talk to. Usually they're, they're moms or grandmas, and right. you know they just want people to listen to them. So I try to ask them questions, ask how their family yeah. are. And um, you know, one, <laughs> when people are... You know, the biggest issue that I have with W9s is I don't actually get to hang out with the people that are writing my checks. And so that's, it's kind of a, it's a, it's, that's why I was asking you earlier, you know, how many W9s, and just for people that don't know, like you get a W9 if it's cash on demand, and you don't have to answer this question. But when you are selling, there's cash on demand or cash on delivery is probably the, the proper term, not cash right. on demand. But there's cash on delivery, and then you could also, like, sometimes they, I like mailbox money, too. Mailbox money's great, right. but I like that upfront money as well. And I think you have to kind of structure it. So, and and, and I'm trying to work this balance as well. Um, but, you know, I, I think, you know, selling meat is something that I haven't been able to aggregate. Like, I, I've been able to, to help a lot of people out, but... Whenever I talk to people that raise uh, pork the way you do or raise any of your animals with a lot of intention and thought, like you said, it's you have to be a special. Like the, the amount of money that that's cost is a special. It's not – so even when yeah. I – so, you know, that's what I was wondering about cuts. Is it just ground um, pork chops? I was right. like, man, that has to be – they wouldn't have that many pork chops if you have 17 pigs. I mean, that's – sure. Yeah. Well, when it, when it comes to that, I'm trying to get out of that game because the amount of work you go to to make that sale, how many weeks in a row you have to text 
the chef and be on top of what they want and when they want it. I mean, it's a lot to manage that relationship for that like three hundred or three hundred dollar order that comes finally. And then, and then if all you're doing is pork, you're like, well, that guy doesn't want to deal with expensive pork chops for another couple months or something as a special. But but we I'm starting to get in this zone where I'm I'm trying to key in on some restaurants that have a little more consistent menus, maybe bigger clientele base, and trying to get. And we're also having more chicken coming down the pike too. So I'm trying to get to the point where we can have two, three, four restaurants who are basically going to have a standing order for like 18, 24 chickens a week, something like that, um, where I can just drop those and <clears throat> kind of get get off the relying on, like every sale is, is uh, once it's done, it's, it's just uh, me maintaining that relationship. And, uh, yeah, and striking I, gold again. Consistency, yeah, consistency. I think. I mean, that's why I went to microgreens because it's the biggest thing for me was how do I have a year-round customer? Like, yeah. what can I do to always have something for somebody all the time? Versus, and Scott and I, we did another show and we talked about that. I talked about that with him. Like, dude, I'd be terrified to not contact a chef in between three months. Yeah. Like I like that weekly seeing, I like talking to them weekly. I like delivering weekly. I like seeing them weekly and I like trying to listen to them or try to ask them a question. And I like them. I like knowing that when I come there, they're looking forward to seeing me. Like I'm a, I can be a, I can be a light in their week. And, um, and so that's kind of like my philosophy, but man, doing meat and like getting consistent chickens. I mean, that still has to be a lot of work. I mean, they're not doing it wing is, nights yeah. at that restaurant. They might have wings, but they're going to be kind of expensive. That's the only thing right, I can yeah. think. No, no place that's that's doing you know like that that's selling wings by the bucket is, it, you know, for 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 sports bar prices is is really in, in looking to get chicken from us. And so and that price you know, is going up, thankfully. Yeah, <laughs> there's no more twenty five cent wing nights. You're, yeah, you know we um, always had that growing up, and now it's like sixty cent wing nights. Wow. Yeah, I haven't uh, I haven't gone to sports bar in a long time. For Get out of wings. town! A man that raises meat and has to and eats right. his own. Ra- I mean, that's that's an interesting. Th- I'm sorry, I don't mean to diverge, but yeah, no, uh, I also just gave up sports when I started farming. I, I I used to care about that a lot, and now I just kind of I'm, I I haven't the time or energy to devote to that. Um, Agreed. But yeah, but anyways, the the it, it's it is a lot of work to get there, and 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 a lot of chefs in a you know, we both live in in mid-sized blue-collar towns that I, I imagine it's pretty similar there where there's a lot of chefs who are doing really good things um but they're also on a budget because because the town is not full of of like as much money as as it would like to be um so so if, if they have a uh 21 chicken entree versus 29 chicken entree they 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 may or may not like believe that they can, they can justify that to their customers, and 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 so they might be going with the cheaper chicken instead of my chicken because they they can't figure out how to how to how to make it work in the budget even the, even though they know mine tastes better. No, um, so we'll keep going. Um, well, I'm just saying we're we're trying to figure out how to how to find the chefs who who not only value what we do but also can can figure out how to make it work financially um, because we're we're coming down in our price to to work with them, but but we can't compete with some of the stuff that they can they can get off the distributor truck. Um, that you know, it's it, it it may have some of the qualities of our chicken, but it's not raised on pasture, and it doesn't have the flavor. But go ahead, sorry, what was your question? No, I was just gonna say, um, country clubs. I think you mentioned that. Now, one thing a chef told me that I haven't aired yet is that country clubs apparently have way bigger margins in their kitchens than what restaurants hmm. do. You know, I know a couple guys have gone to country clubs as chefs, and I kind of haven't hit them up, but I've thought about it just to kind of say, yeah, see what's up. The the club that we sell to is is kind of the opposite of that. It's like um, sort of hippie moms. It's called a buying club, but they 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 want to buy authentic Whole Foods, um, and and they do it through this through this club together. It's sort of like a nonprofit structure, so it's more or less a grocery for people who who just want to like want to buy whole whole grains and raw milk and and pastured meats um it's basically the opposite of a country club <laughs> um, <laughs> right <laughs> to yeah clarify. yeah no i i uh i got a referral today for 
so yeah so anyways so country clubs and that so what so how did you so how many farmers markets did you might have already said this so i'm sorry so you do how many farmers markets during the week you don't do midday ones anymore do you do two weekend ones are you crazy like yeah darby simpson like your wife goes to one and you go to one so yeah we we do two saturday markets in the summer but we only we're only part of one year-round market so at the beginning of october we we finished up our summer market but Catherine would go to one i'd go to the other um basically that was the way it would work for a couple of years but then but then we had a newborn this spring and so i started sending another guy to one of the markets and i go to the other so we i i bring two markets full worth of meat on the truck and i drop everything off at his market and then go to my market and then i pack up my market and go back and pick up my stuff from him and um now now i'm down to just one market on a saturday um so how but, did you but, did you test them out? Like, how do you compensate employees for farmers markets? Because I've been thinking about this for me personally, like doing a couple markets sure. on a Saturday, just because, as you said, the weekday markets aren't really that good. Um, so I think if we're doing a Saturday market, um, I'm doing that. My idea is I'm paying you, I'm going to give you a percentage of your sales, and that's about it. Um, I might give you a low wage with a percentage because the wage economy kind of dictates that people want a wage. But I right. think a percentage is the real, you know, somebody that's willing to just work on a percentage is actually a lot more hip and it's probably going to work a lot harder. Yeah, yeah. I think, well, with this with this deal, um, it was another farmer we hired. Um, it's actually another podcaster too, um, Sam Sycamore. He was starting his first year in market gardening and we, um, we just thought, well, we'll let him sell vegetables at our booth and he'll run our booth for us and he'll, he'll have the access to market as well as, as a wage that I forget what it ended up being maybe 12 bucks an hour in addition to having access to our market and he's somebody who cares a lot about local food and, and has, has has eaten our meat for a while and believes in our, our products so and and knows stuff about how we raise our things and been to our farm so we we just we we signed him on kind of thinking well this will work for him and and we we want somebody who we think will will do a good job. So that's that's how we decided. I don't know if we'll do it differently in the future. I mean, um, I felt we were, like we were kind of getting a, a high quality sales associate, um, and then partially compensating them by getting letting them sell their own stuff. Yeah, but you ended up paying them a wage too. So there, and actually, sales kind of suffered. Part. Say it again. Oh, okay, it was kind of breaking up there. It went silent. So you said um, he was able to sell his own stuff and get access to a market, um, and then it yeah. cut off. Um, Sorry, yeah. So he, so we, we let Sam have access to our customers and, and half of our booth and a wage, too. Um, maybe it was a little bit too sweet of a deal, but we, we wanted to make sure it was something where he would stick with it for the year and it would work for him. Um, that's very interesting. I haven't thought about the wage cause I'm like a do or die. Like, well, if you don't, yeah. I, I think like now I'm having friends like that are, they just want to be a part of the farmer's market. Like they like that social interaction and I'm kind of like showing them some ropes of like kind of ground up business, you know, like I think the farmer's right, market is something yeah. that's ground up business. And I think you agree. Like it's, it's definitely, sure. There's great. There's great. There's lots of networking opportunities if if there's a good community at that market, and a lot of them are just show up and it's like a thing, and then, like some of them become just just good sources for you to make money, and others are like a multifaceted community event. And I think it's like right. finding the happy medium between the two is what you want. Like I definitely yeah. I want to have a market that I can just go and get paid. But, you know, one thing that I really like about my one market is it was put on by the Neighborhood Association. So it's like it's uh, it's an area where the neighborhood comes out and supports it as a neighborhood. And um, lots of people are looking forward to meeting other people and everything else like that. Yeah. Yeah, we uh, we we have two markets um, and and they definitely both have a really different feel to them. And one feels a lot more like community and people who are who really care about. Um, like that's where they buy their food and they care about the farmers there. And there's farmers that have been there for a long, long time. It's the oldest market in town and the most kind of dedicated core base of, of customers. They may have a quarter of the number of customers as the other farmers market, but they, but if you, if you wash away the three quarters of X, you know, the, that those extra, you know, say if one has 500, the other one has 2000 customers. If you, if you wash away 1500 window shoppers who are buying a, 
a single stem sunflower and a breakfast burrito and you know seeing their friends um but they're more kind of just there to feel good about themselves and have a nice sunny saturday morning there's it, it's great to have the even better community and and the uh educated and community the, and and the, the community that really cares about buying their food there and is going to spend spend money on on groceries and not just kind of like uh, something to put on the kitchen counter sort of so as a farmer what's the most frustrating type of customer oh man i uh i try really hard to be like really kind and just kind of really needy people who like complain but keep coming back <laughs> um i i don't feel like i've gotten to the point where i i uh am am so frustrated that i can like fire the customers um sometimes i'm I'm glad to see him go. Um, but, you know, in the end, like, you know, you, you have to find a way to balance, um, like taking care of people who maybe they're high maintenance, but they're also, um, that's just a personality thing. And, and they, they appreciate what you do, even though they'll tell you that one out of every 10 times and the, the other nine times they're just whining about the way something um, wasn't ideal or whatever. Um, I can put up with a lot though. I'm, I'm, uh, if I, if I wasn't capable of, of, of doing so, I probably would, wouldn't, wouldn't be direct marketing food and farming both because they, they both have plenty of stuff to put up with. Yeah. How has, uh, your experience as a server at restaurants, how, how has that helped you with dealing with customers and ultimately doing sales for your farm? I think it probably helped a lot. Yeah. I think, uh, just knowing, I mean, anything, anywhere from like knowing the things you can do with food from having like been around really good chefs and, and just seeing the plates come out and then, you know, and, and describing, um, plated food to people. Um, you know, it, it, I can, I can have a conversation with somebody and they're like, Oh, Boston, but what do you do with that? I'm like, well, let me tell you, I would, and I'll, I'll go over the, the herb mixture and, and how I'll like, how I'll basically do it in something that's going to be easy and delicious. And like, you're going to want to add citrus and apple cider vinegar, brown sugar and put in the crock pot. And then you're going to make this delicious Cuban pork tacos. And then, you know, but having described plates to people and, and made them sound appealing. And then, you know, and then doing that at the farmer's market, it really translates well because they're basically, you know, um, retail food sales jobs in the end. And, and it, a lot of it has to do with how you're presenting the product, for sure. I 100% agree. People are like, what do you do with this? And I think it's, you know, one thing that I've noticed is my buddy Alex Bell, he came out. I need to get him on the podcast. He's, for anyone that likes School Sucks podcast, he's been on a couple School Sucks recently. And I've had him on a couple okay. episodes before. But I like, Alex is a, he's a kid that decided to not go to college by listening to Brett's show. So Alex, you know, he's got his online content marketing business and he hit me up and was like, hey, I need to get out of the house and socialize. Can I go to the farmer's markets? And I said, yeah. So it was really good to have Alex around because Alex was saying, you know, you're giving too many buying options. And I realized Mm -hmm. I was because I was trying to transition into bulk sales. So I'd Mm -hmm. give two options on bulk and then I would do like this half option and like, then I was I was transitioning of having big bags and little bags, and then I've transitioned doing all little bags, and I think I like the all little bags uh, option better. I think I move a lot more product, um, yeah. but it's just a lot more work. So that's the only thing I don't like about it. So I'm kind of going with that. And Alex, he'll help me sell in the sense that he's like, "You're giving too many options." But then when he describes how people can cook with them, I notice that he'll give too many options on how to how to use them. And I realize right, you want to yeah. give people like two options, right? Yeah, like two two specific options, and then you just say, or it's good in anything because it's a really good product. Like honestly, right. you can throw it in yeah. anything, and it's going to make anything taste good. That requires yeah. pork. I mean that that was the thing. Like I realized how shitty of a cook I was when I had bad ingredients, and then right. like when I use like my microgreens and like Greg's pork or John Fogel's pork and. You know, anything that I knew where this source of food came from, it's like I look like a rock star when I right, cook yeah. because it's 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 the ingredients can can really uh, make anything good. And I think yeah. trying to help consumers understand that at a farmer's market is 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 
it's challenging at times. The other thing for me as being a vegetable farmer was trying to explain to a person that I wasn't certified organic on purpose. <laughs> right. And it's like, well, I use organic soil and organic seeds, and I don't use chemicals. And she right. blew her mind, and she didn't understand what I was saying, and then she went and bought from the Amish guy. <laughs> because Amish equals, uh, you know, conscious food. There's a lot of Amish people that do just grow natural farming, but there's a lot of them that don't. And I think that's oh, yeah. like the important thing. Just because they're Amish doesn't mean that they're noble human beings. It, it looks wholesome. Um, it, yeah, it looks yeah. wholesome when they don't. When they don't look wholesome dress from like over Western here, culture. I can see those suspenders. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I, um, I was, I was, I have a, a lot of Amish neighbors, and I was having a conversation with one. I was giving him a ride somewhere, and uh, I, he, he raises basically like a small scale CAFO, um, um, where he, he will get these batches of of steers from a like dairy steers, and he'll he'll raise them out to a certain size on milk replacer, but basically. Um, you know, Dean Foods or Walmart wants all the milk. And so they take the, the boy calves off the mama and sell them for like, you know, just a few pennies a, a pound or whatever, because it's basically a waste product in the milk industry. Uh, but anyways, he will raise them up to a certain size until they can go to a, feed, a big feedlot, but they need a little feedlot with, with a lot of labor to make it work. Um, so he, he's this middleman for this, this, this uh, waste stream of, of bull calves. But, you know, I was, we were, he was saying, saying, I guess it's not a very organic thing to do. And I was like, you know, we all do what we got to do um, and and make compromises where we have to. But, I, you know, we're also trying to, trying to get something that's better for everybody involved. He's like, and then he told me this story of like, well, let me tell you, there's a guy I know and he raises pumpkins. And you know what people are doing with those pumpkins. And I was like, oh, I, I guess I do. <laughs> but uh, the, the fact that somebody... Those what are they doing with those pumpkins? They're, I, they're I, making jack-o'-lanterns out of them. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> that was a long, long story to tell you that um, he, was, That's hilarious. he was a little bit embarrassed about having a confined animal feeding operation, but but what was really scandalous is that some, some Amish guy he knows was knowingly producing jack-o'-lantern pumpkins. Dude, that um, is an awesome story because in yeah. his world, how could you do that? Yeah, and it's like you I mean, treat a, animals a like a business. Right. Yeah, that's uh, that's at the far end of of, uh, of what's questionable. Yeah, that is that is an incredibly entertaining story. I I had some Amish. This guy was kind of cool. He came to the Thursday market, tried to sell everything. Had this guy that looked like he was a pretend fake Amish, like he was someone <laughs> that was in his 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 family that uh-huh. own vehicles because Amish is what a lot of people don't know is you are allowed to have vehicles, computers, and internet if it's for business in a lot of sects yeah, of the of Amish community. Yeah. And yeah. I swear, Amish people are very clever marketing people. Um, oh, man. They know what we value. They know what our values are because our culture is everywhere and their culture yeah, is a secret to us. And they're also... Keep going. I'm yeah. sorry. You were saying something. I think we had an audio mishap. Oh, you're you're fine. I I was getting a call on my phone because we're, we're recording on. Um, oh oh no but, worries. Uh, you're fine. You're fine. Uh, but anyways, yeah the the Amish um they're they're just really gifted business people. Period. We have we have some great Amish neighbors. Um that that uh yeah they're they know what they're doing in business. They don't have anything to spend their money on other than like land and hunting rifles, but. But they they know how to make some money, for sure. I heard that they're a big fan secretly of secret distilleries and uh, certain kinds of smoking as well. I don't you don't have to put anyone on blast that you know, but from my understanding, not that I want to, since Amish shouldn't be listening to this, so I'm just teasing. Right. And we can we can cut that out <laughs> if you want. But they're just people. The point of what we're saying is is that they're people. Like I think, sure. yeah. like Western culture in the United States, we put Native Americans and Amish on this pedestal. Like they were both these noble human beings, and we could only hope to be as noble as they are. But they're still people. They're still opportunists. Yeah. They're still good people and bad people and in between people. Absolutely. And there's yeah. nobody's better than you. Nobody's worse than you. You're you, and they're them. And that's just the way you have to look at things. Yeah. I mean, I think about it like, uh, like we, 
we feel very fortunate to have settled down not only in the middle of an Amish community, but in one where they're they're uniquely um, kind to outsiders um, compared with what I've heard with other Amish communities. Um, and we're we're thankful for that, especially our family. They just really we've really connected well with them. But but I think that there are ways that one can can set up um, a community. I mean, usually it's an emergent process, but but there are, there are communities where where entrepreneurs will will shine more than they might in another community because of the, the factors of that culture. There are communities where you know the guy with a low to middle um, intelligence level will do better than he would in another community. Um, there are communities where women will do better than they would in other communities. Um, there are there are ways which these communities can be structured where someone like their someone's best person might be more capable of of coming out than in, than they would in another community. And I think a lot. Of, I think I look at Amish life in the in where I've touched in on, and I think that it's a really beautiful way of life, and in a lot of ways. And I think part of that is because um, there's there's good work to be done for for people of all ages, and 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 there's like there's the ability to to work with your hands and 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 use your use your intelligence but but you don't have to be someone of, of a high degree of intelligence and ability to to make life work um and uh, among other reasons i think i think it's a great and good and beautiful thing but it's also you know if you're a complete a-hole um like being amish isn't going to cure that and, and if you're if you're like, you know, not a hard worker, being Amish is going to hear that, you know, the, the same way as it would if you're, um, you know, growing up in 12th century Mississippi and Indian culture and something like that. I mean, they're, you know, they're these are these cultures affect people in them, but they're not they don't make or break them and decide who they are. Exactly. I think that was well said. And actually, it made me it inspired me to go back and cut out the cuss words I said. I'm trying to get away from cuss words. Yeah. So. And it's uh, not that like it's like I'm against cussing or swearing, but I just think that maybe I should brain my ideas to not just be for adults. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I uh, I more or less only cuss when I'm by myself and with animals. Um, <laughs> it's, I'm not sure why, but when I'm around other people, it just uh, just doesn't seem like appropriate in my language. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. As I'm getting older. It's yeah. more so like I don't see the need to use it. Like unless yeah. I'm really trying to express something, then I then yeah. I'll use it. But even then, I don't think I'd. If I'm taking the time to edit this, why why should I leave that in there? So I think yeah. that's kind of it. Like I cut out other things. Why wouldn't I cut out that? So yeah, um, it also, it's more powerful too. There's that. Yeah, for sure. Well. Luke, we're about forty-eight minutes here, and uh, okay. we should probably wrap it up because it's uh, getting getting a little bit late. We're old men now. Um, I had a great time talking to you. Hopefully, I can have you back on the show in the future, and yeah, hopefully, yeah. I get to meet you sometime too. Yeah, uh, we're only a few hours away. Yeah, yeah. I, I go down to Louisville for the Derby party once a year, typically. So okay. we'll we'll see where that's at. But um, if yeah. people wanted to follow your farm or join your meat CSA. What's a good way for people to contact you? Sure, yeah. Um, we, we sell meats in the Louisville, Kentucky area. Um, and we're, our farm is Gross Family Farm, G-R-O-C-E Family Farm. Um, we have a meat CSA. It's kind of where we get about half our income from, half our sales. When um, kind of you're talking about how you try to eliminate analysis paralysis, um, we want to provide you all the meat you need on a monthly basis um, in a way that is as efficient and simple as possible and where you don't have to, you know, do four hours of meal planning to figure out how, what you need to get at the grocery store. We just will give you a sack full of meat once a month and we're going to help you out with recipes. And it's, it's simple and easy and everything's delicious and, 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 and not hard to use and, and it works out great for a lot of different kinds of families. So that's the thing that um, that we we'd love to to share with more people if they are interested. Um, our our website is grossfamilyfarm.com, um, G-R-O-C-E, and that's the same as our Instagram handle. Or you can find us on Facebook. Um, 
we usually try to share share what's going on on the farm there. Um, and I guess that's that's it. I, I also just want to say um, that I don't really throw a lot of money at podcasters here and there and everywhere, but um, I feel like the sample hour is the, the kind of conversation I would have if I spent um, hardly any of my life hanging around like similar age, intelligent adult dudes and having a conversation with them. <laughs> I, uh, I feel like when I, when I have these kinds of conversations to be clued in on, I don't feel the need to go on Facebook and argue with strangers um, to get my intellectual, um, intellectual needs met. I, you know, I, whether I'm having a conversation or listening to sample hour, it, it actually fulfills a need that I apparently have um, that, that I, I think is, is a good one. And I, and I should scratch that itch and I should do it in the, in the most healthy way possible, which usually doesn't involve logging on Facebook. <laughs> Thank you so much, man, for the kind words. I'm also against getting in conversations on Facebook. It's a great way to, uh, it's a good way to get into groups or get some specific questions answered. Um, certain groups are good for recipes, but I think if you just scroll on your timeline, you're just itching to get yeah. upset. I mean, it's a reactionary market. The whole, the whole idea behind Facebook is to get you to react, to get you to not think, to get you to act emotionally. And um, also, too, as you've heard me say, it's 10% of your conversation is words. The rest, most, the, the second most is inflection. And then the most is body language. So uh, right. I appreciate your kind words, sir. As Luke said, we, we are a member of the Value Value Network. A dollar a month or $12 a year. That's all it is. Please go to grossfamilyfarm.com and try to get on the, the meat CSA. Um, definitely plan on purchasing some meat from Luke in the future. Was going to try this year, but something very, way closer fell in my lap. Um, and uh, But I think I definitely... Could potentially be a beef customer for Luke if he if he has some in the future, depending on price. But uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a huge fan. Uh, you should see if your butcher will do beef bacon. I had beef bacon. Ah, it's incredible. Yeah. Now it was a semi CAFO cow. They weren't. It was kind of like a small CAFO operation. They're just like a small operation that's not grass fed. It's still grain right. fed cattle. Um, so, but I mean, it, it at least wasn't a you know, an internment camp slave like a lot of the CAFO meat is. Um, but sure. Luke, no. awesome having you on the show, brother. I appreciate you coming on. Looking forward to having you on again. Everyone, please support Luke's farm. And also, again, that's grossfamilyfarm.com. Do you guys have a newsletter or anything? Um, you can sign up for email list on the on the website. Um, and, you know, but we, we send out a, a little bit of emails here, there, and everywhere. But... But yeah, that's that's the place to go. I'm gonna get on that. Um, I'm sure there's some thought, and I think what what I do get's gonna be worth it, and I'll definitely read it. So, um, so check out Luke's work on his farm. Follow him on Instagram, and uh, I hope you guys enjoy this show, and I hope you guys make it a great evening. <laughs>